0: Well, many years ago, my youngest son, Tim, had a theme at school for Thanksgiving, and the theme was this, let us be thankful for what we have. So because, if you know my son, Tim, he's a lot like me, it became a joke for a long time between Tim and I, we would be driving along, and back then I had this minivan. If you were been at our church a long time, you know I used to refer to it as the chick magnet. And you say, how is a minivan a chick magnet? I used to always say, it says stability. It says a man who knows who he is. And so we'd be driving in our uh, minivan, and we would see like one of these, you know, quarter of a million dollar sports cars come blazing by us, or a Ferrari or something like that. So we'd be like, wow, look at that car, look at that car. And Tim would go, dad, let us be thankful for what we have. Over and over again, when we, we wanted to, you know, we would see something we would want, we would say that uh, to one another. We went to Nantucket, and we didn't have chauffeur-driven limousines like a lot of the people that were there, and we rented mopeds. And Tim and I, we mopeded all around Nantucket. And at one point in time, we went to the airport, and there was the jet of the owner of the Baltimore Colts, the Indianapolis Colts, now I'm dating myself, the In- Indianapolis Colts. And I was like, look at that guy. He has a jet and we have a moped. And Tim's like, Dad, let us be thankful for what we have. And that night we went down to the docks and we were looking at all the boats. And there was a boat, I tell you, it was almost the length of a football field. And so I said to the security guard at the dock, and the guy was serving sushi up to all these people and stuff like that. I was like, Who in the world owns that boat? And he goes, oh, that's Paul Allen's boat. Who's Paul Allen? He's the co-founder of Microsoft. Tim said to me, Dad, before we got on the ferry to go back to the mainland, let us be thankful for what we have. So over and over again, whenever we wanted something, you could even say to Tim, Tim, would you please pass me the ketchup? He'd say, Dad, why don't you be thankful for what you have? And so no matter what, we would talk about that. So this morning, uh, Monday morning, sorry, I was studying Psalm 100, and the psalm heading was a psalm of thanksgiving, and all that kept going through my head was Tim saying, let us be thankful for what we have. Well, interesting, Monday afternoon, I know the church is supposed to be closed, but it's a short week, so I wanted to run in and get some stuff done. I came in, and I was carrying uh, two knapsacks, one including my laptop in it and a bunch of boxes and I hit something with my foot and I started to uh, move forward a little bit and I put my laptop uh, knapsack down a little and I stepped on the strap and I just went over and somehow my laptop remained up and so I landed right on my sitting up straight laptop on my ribs and it knocked the wind completely out of me. And so I have to be careful about laughing tonight because now I have bruised ribs. So I was lying there on the floor and I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? I, I, I got up, I got to a seat and, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's working and what's not. I'm, I'm dizzy, I'm breathing, but my chest is absolutely killing me. I'm checking my arm. I'm checking out, you know, my legs, what's working, what's not. And Tim's voice is still in my head. Let us be thankful for what we have. Or let us be thankful for what works. So I have no choice tonight but to title the message, Let Us Be Thankful for What We Have. Uh, Even in that moment, I realized as I sat there and I was breathing, and you're always, you know, worried about. I've had bruised ribs before. You're, you're wondering if you broke anything. I remembered the one thing that we need to remember from Psalm 100 is: no matter what, we have the Lord. We have the Lord. To make it simple, we'll look at this psalm as uh, really repeating a pattern twice. First, we get a call to praise, and then we get the cause to praise, or we get the reason why we praise. Psalm 100 is meant to inspire us to gladness and to thanksgiving because the Lord is great and because the Lord is good. The problem, of course, is that not all people worship the Lord and Even sometimes as followers of Jesus, we forget to worship him with gladness and thanksgiving. And Psalm 100 reminds us to remember that we are to worship with gladness and thanksgiving. And it also instructs us how to worship with joy and thanksgiving. So let's start with the call to praise and worship, verse 1 and 2. Make a joyful shout. Some versions say make a joyful noise, some say shout for joy, some say shout for triumphantly, shout triumphantly, make a joyful shout to the Lord all you lands. Other versions say all the earth serve, some of your versions say worship but the word literally means serve. Serve the Lord with gladness, come before or come into his presence with singing. Another version says, Come into his presence with joyful songs. Now, at the time this was written, let's just say it was a thousand years before Jesus was born. We don't really know exactly when, but but at the time this was written, Yahweh, the Lord, was not that well known in the world. The ancient world was a world of many gods, as today's world is a world of many gods, both ones you can see and and ones the scripture refers to the idols of our hearts. And sadly, it seemed like the people of God, the Israelites, didn't have much of an interest in spreading the good news of the Lord to the world. There were converts, but they're not really as many as we would hope for. But the Lord had a great interest in it, and still does to this day. And so here he invites, really commands... All of the world to worship him. Now, when we talk about worshiping God, this has, as we'll go through this psalm, we will see, this has a unique meaning for the people of God. They are to approach the house of the Lord, they are to approach God with incredible joy. We are to remember that when the people of God come together, we are coming together to worship the king, which is why the big reason why the Lord commands us to come to church. I mean, really, that's why we come to church. We come to worship the Lord. Now, in this season, we're doing church online. I love, I love church online. It's great for sick people. It's great for people who are in distant lands. It's, it's great for underground churches. It's great for people in times of crisis like we are right now, but it's never been meant, and nor has Christian radio or CDs or anything like that, you know, tapes back in the day, you know, uh, listening online. It's never been meant to be a substitute for the weekly gathering of the people of God. And it's fair to say, and I understand this is very soul-searching, but how we worship And how often we worship with the people of God tells us about our love for the Lord. Again, I know that's not easy to hear. But how we worship and how often we worship together with God's people tells us a lot about our love for the Lord. I know a lot of people in our church, our family, we were the same for years before I was in the ministry. You get invited to certain parties on Sundays, and you're always late. But you tell the people in advance, we're late, because we're going to the house of the Lord. Now, notice how we are to come. We are to come shouting. Now, occasionally, you do hear people shouting at each other in the parking lot. You know, families getting out of the car. Shh, shh, we're going to the house of the Lord. But that's not what he's talking about. He, he, he's meaning uninhibited praise, uninhibited singing. Now, not obnoxious. Some people just sing. They're singing so loud over the crowds. That's not what he's talking about. And some people sing over the crowd and they don't have a very good voice. That's really rough. But even if you have a great voice, you don't want to be singing and drawing attention to yourself. And let's be honest about where singing is right now in most of our services in the church in America. It's become largely a spectator event. We watch the talented people on the stage. They sing, and we watch. And now our services, we thought it was bad before. Now on the internet, it's even getting worse. Our services have become largely like entertainment. You know, people say you have to, you know, preach. Some people say preach for, they give the pastor 12 minutes, 15 minutes to preach. Thankfully, they don't do that here. You know, back in the day, they used to give, uh, if they really loved their pastor, they would give him an hourglass And at the end of the first hour, he would turn it, which means that he had one more hour to preach before the people would say, that's two hours, that's enough. And God wants joy and thanksgiving to characterize our gatherings. God wants us to remember that we gather in the presence of the king and he wants all of the people to worship him, not just the people on the stage. And not just any king. He, he says here the, it, it, that it's the, the all you lands or all you earth. Derek Kidner, the great Bible scholar who wrote a great commentary on the book of Psalms, says right here, God claims the whole earth for himself. He says the whole place is his. So you put all of this together and think about what you see oftentimes when you go to church Whether you go here, you go somewhere else. What do you often see? Well, you see a lot of people coming in very late. You see a lot of sad faces, don't you? Mm, Let's call them funeral faces. And a lot of times people are singing sad songs. And they don't revive our souls, do they? Just think, sad songs, sad faces, is that going to revive your soul? And let me ask you this, this is an even more difficult question, is that honoring to God? I mean, imagine you're God and you're watching going, oh, is that what they think of me? Late? Sad? Downcast? Now, there's not times when we're not sad. Please don't get me wrong. We don't expect everybody to walk in and, you know, you have a lot of crisis in your life. But week in and week out, that should not be what characterizes God's people. But why does he use the word shout? Because God wants us to be excited about him. God wants us to appreciate him. God wants us to be full of thanksgiving for him. And we experience God's love when we respond to him in that way. You see, joyful worship is a way of saying to God, I'm happy with you, God. I appreciate you. I'm content in you. I am forever grateful to you. Joyful worship is a way of saying to the Lord, I love you, Lord. I love you. Our joyful worship and thanksgiving reveal a heart that is oriented towards God, not some dreary duty, which is a sign of an ungrateful heart, which is an unhealthy heart, you see when we worship with gladness again he says here make a joyful shout when we worship with gladness he says worship the, make a joyful shout and then he ends with to the lord with gladness when we worship that way we demonstrate that we have had an experience of the grace of god yet again when we are habitually sad. I'm putting circumstances that might be particularly troubling for you aside for now, but if that's the way we always are, when we're always just sad, not getting our way, it shows that we really haven't experienced the grace of God, and deep down something is really wrong. He says in verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. So what we have in verse 1 and 2 is is three ways to come to church, three ways to come to worship God. We are to come joyful, shouting. We are to come serving. And we are to come singing. In other words, and this may be very difficult for us to perceive, but our joyful worship serves the Lord. Now here's something we really have to understand I think a big part of our problem in this is we think when it comes to singing and worship and and, and church service and stuff like that, we think more often about our preferences than God's preferences. We think more often about our opinions than the way he wants things. We also worship the Lord when we serve others in Jesus' name, when we welcome others into the house of the Lord, when we invite people to come into the house of the Lord to experience the joyful worship of God. Now, here's what we have to remember, loved ones, these are not suggestions. They're not suggestions. They are commands. But when followed, they are a means of grace to change us from the inside out. So, as we sing about God, as we sing to God, the saving, protecting, and providing God, He empowers His people and we taste the grace of God. But, but there's a condition on this that we do it with gladness. We worship with gladness. And I would say, that we are also worship willingly. We are willingly coming to offer God our sacrifice of praise. We are thankful that we are His. We are thankful that He is ours. Joyful worship is the proper response to the revelation of God. When God reveals himself to his people, when God is present with his people, when he inhabits the praises of his people, joyful worship is our response. So what's the cause for this joyful worship, this joyful praise, this gladness? What's the the motivation? It's not like, hey, just do it. No, no, no. The psalmist tells us why. Look at verse 3. He tells us it's the greatness of God. He says, verse three: Know that the Lord, and the idea is the Lord alone. Know that Yahweh, He is God. It is He who has made us. Now, you could be—he could be talking about He's created each and every one of us, but He also could be saying that it is He who has made Israel. He is—it is He who has made us the people of God, and not we ourselves. Why do I say that? Because He says we are His people. And the sheep of his pasture. It's interesting, it seems like the psalmist begins with with another command Know that the Lord, He is God. Now, this is something that I I think sometimes we miss, and it's easy to miss. A lot of times we, we think about our worship being emotional, and it should be emotional. But notice God starts with the mind. The mind feeds the heart, feeds the emotions. If your mind is feeding your heart and your emotions, you will find a lot more stability in your life than if your emotions are feeding everything else. Because what happens is, if your emotions are feeding everything, what happens when you leave church? Well, it's over. And then it's hard. And then next week, the poor pastor is under the pressure to beat the emotion of the week before. That's how people get so far down the road, often their theology, because they're trying to play a can-you-top-this kind of church service instead of letting God revealing himself through his word. Now, we've said before in Hebrew thinking that it doesn't separate knowing and doing. So we are called to know the Lord And then we are called to act upon it. We are called to know the Lord. Here the context is to worship the Lord. So this worshiping the Lord with joy is what? It's a matter of the will. It's not whether you feel like it or not. It's will I come in, lay myself. I always say leave yourself in the car. Leave your troubles in the car. Will I come into the house of the Lord? Will I come into the presence of God's people? And will I just trust that God says that if you do this, you will experience me. You will experience my empowerment. Knowing God is to know him personally, but it is also to be grounded in him. And so here we see something that knowing God is both a gift and a command to pursue. We are to constantly pursue knowing God. And the way to know God more deeply is through his word. That's why for us, hearing from the Lord, from God's word, is the centerpiece of our service. We don't want to know what Pastor Jim thinks. I don't even want to know what Pastor Jim thinks. Really. I think one thing one week and I think something else a different week. I eat something, and I go, I used to like that years ago. Now, it doesn't taste so good to me anymore. No, we want to hear from God. And here we see we know God as our creator, and if we know that, we can be thankful to him for life. We know God as bringing us into the family of God, and we can be thankful to him for spiritual life. Of course, much of the world does not think that way. Many people only value their own lives not the lives of others. Did you ever hear anybody say this? I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made man. Next time somebody says that to you, you just simply, casually, nicely, if you know them well and you think maybe you can beat them up if they take a swing at you, you just say, well, thank you for telling me that. Now we know who to blame for your selfishness (laughs) because there's no such thing as a self-made man or I don't want to be a self-made man. We all want to be a God-made man or woman. Yet the great motivation for Thanksgiving is at the end of verse three it's because he says, we are His people and the sheep of his pasture. I mean this verse right here, verse three, you may want to jot this down on a you know on your phone or index card or some piece of paper and just carry this around with you and turn this into a prayer. just, just take verse three and turn it into a prayer and say, God, I want to know you and I want to know and be confident that I am one of your people and one of the sheep of your pasture. You know, God is our shepherd. Very, that's a big term for God in the Old Testament. And the, and the terminology it uses for God as being our shepherd, is it goes stuff like this. It will say that he called them the people of God. He led them. He brought them out. He brought them in. And so the picture is, that's why we call ourselves followers of Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He, and we are following him. We are his sheep. And when we gather, and oh, please do not miss this. If, if there's no other reason than to come to church on Sundays, just listen to this. When we gather, we are God's flock called into the house of the Good Shepherd. We are God's flock that he's calling us in. He's bringing us in. He's calling us by name to come in to the house of the Lord to worship the Good Shepherd. And he calls us what? To worship him. To have our souls cared for. And notice when God calls us, there's no mention of our circumstances. You're heavy hearted. Come, he says. You're on top of the world. Come, he says. There's no mention of our sin. He's not like, hey, you're a sinner. Don't come. Stay out. No, Come, he says. That is the gospel call. come. If you're here tonight and you're watching tonight or sometime during the week, you're not a follower of Jesus, that is the Lord's call to you. Come. Come to him. You see, the Lord leads those who want to be led. And we saw in Psalm 23, where does he lead us to? He leads us to green pastures. He leads us to quiet or still waters. He leads us to his protective care. Now, some of you might be saying, Pastor Jim, why would you say that he leads those who want to be led? Well, have you noticed that God's creation and God's sheep can be most uncooperative at times? Stubborn, can we say? In fact, this Sunday we'll be talking about that God is stubborn in a very different way than we are. In a good way. He won't give up on us. You see, others would give up, but the Lord perseveres. Others would be discouraged with the behavior of the flock, but the Lord is full of hope. And so when we think of God as our creator, sometimes the Bible uses the imagery as God as our potter, one who is making you and molding you, as well as the shepherd who tends you who protects you, who provides for you, who feeds for you. In other words, we we are thankful because the Lord is both our creator and our savior. And as Jesus said, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. For a follower of Jesus, and once again, please let me not forget to mention that if you're not a follower, we're glad you're with us tonight. For a follower of Jesus, that is something to be thankful for every day. Not just because tomorrow is Thanksgiving or tonight's the night before Thanksgiving, but the fact that God is both our creator and our savior is something to be thankful for every day. And by the grace of God, for a follower of Jesus Christ, he gave us spiritual life and he made us his people. No one on earth, no one on earth should be more thankful than the sheep of the good shepherd. No one on earth should be more thankful than the people of God. So wonderful is this good shepherd, he even pursues us when we wander. And no matter what comes at us, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what happens to us, we are still His. Remember the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews thirteen five. the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How important it is to be thankful every day for the Lord's presence. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is something to be thankful for every day. That there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate you and me from the love of God. Well, in verse 4, we get another call to praise. He says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Do you know thanksgiving is a huge part of being a follower of Jesus? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Another version says, give thanks to him and bless his name. Well, of course, there we have a big problem, don't we? Many people want the blessings of God. They don't want the blesser or the blessor. But we want God himself. We want to bless his name. So once again, we're given three commands. Enter, be thankful, and bless his name. (laughs) Is that how we come to church? All of a sudden I get this, I had this picture of Yahweh being in the greeter ministry. <laughs> and the people walking in and him just going, enter, be thankful, bless his name. You know, you know, how should we go into church today with just telling us how to do it? And he moves us from joy to thanksgiving here in the psalm, but it's hard to see how the two can be separated. It's hard to separate praise and thanksgiving as both exalt and glorify God as our creator and savior. Now, thanksgiving, he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and be thankful. So thanksgiving in some way is mentioned twice here in verse 4, and it carries the idea of gratitude for who the Lord is and what he has done. Once again, the Lord forces us to consider his call for God's people as we come to gather for worship. Isn't it interesting? God so often in the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, talks about the collective gathering of his people. How different than the American mentality, well, it's all about me and my relationship with God. Oh yes, you do have a relationship with God. And it is private, but it also is very public. We are to gather together as God's people. I'm not not just saying it's good to go to church. So please, please don't get me wrong. It is good to go to church, but I'm not just saying that. And I often say, people go, it doesn't matter what church you go to, um, it just all that matters is that you go to church. Man, the devil couldn't have done any better than that sentence. (laughs) That's a beauty. It doesn't matter what church you go to. All that matters is you go to church. No, it totally matters what church you go to. You want to go to a church where, if you're, if you're watching, you're far away, you want, you want to go to a church where the Word of God is preached with, with passion and, and without p- compromise and without apology and with great accuracy and great care. You want to go to a place where the people of God are worshiping God. And you want to go to a place where the love of God is manifest among his people. Those are criteria that you have for it to go to a church. Sometimes people go, well, I can't leave my church because all my friends are there. You can. I can't leave my church because I serve in my church. You can. You want to go to a church where God is present. And so it is good to go to church... But more importantly than that, God is telling us when we gather the way he wants us to gather, when we worship him with joy, when we sit under his word, they, they said, it says in the Old Testament, that they, they opened up the book and gave understanding to the text. When the apostles opened up the book and taught the word of God to people and, and the prayers of God's people, and the joy of God's people, and the love among God's people, the Lord says this, something really special happens when you gather in that way. And even more than that, that's looking at kind of self-centered. Let's look at it God-centered. It seems to me that what God is describing here in Psalm 100 is, when you gather in the way I instruct you, It has incredibly meaning to God himself. He is, that's what he says here, he blesses his name. That blesses his name. When we are a thankful flock, our shepherd is blessed. When we are a thankful family, our father, our heavenly father is blessed. In that sense, this psalm is why we encourage one another not simply to come to church, but come to worship. Worship as we sing. Worship as we hear God, our Father, talk to us. Worship as we love one another. But this component of of singing joyfully is so important. I notice this all the time in, in every church I go to. Whenever I go to a church, I really notice this. If the last song is joyful, upbeat, joyful, Helping people, having heard God speak to them, helping people forget their troubles and their eyes are focused on God when they leave the worship room. I don't call it the sanctuary because we are the sanctuary of God. When the people leave the worship room, the hallways in any church is buzzing. It is absolutely buzzing. Why? Because people's hearts are overflowing with joy. So what are they talking about if their hearts are overflowing with joy? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. They are talking to one another about the Lord and what the Lord is doing. They're praying with one another. They're they are enjoying one another's company. They are, they're smiling. But when you end on a down and somber note, the hallway is not joyful. People are not doing a lot of those things. They're talking about the Yankees or politics or the news or the weather or something. But they're not talking about the Lord. Not not to mention the attitude with which we enter into thanksgiving and praise is contagious. And people will say, well, why don't, why don't more people clap their hands? I'm always like, why don't you? Now you say, well, Pastor Jim, why don't you? I have, I have zero rhythm. I mean, zero which is, some of you know, this is so insulting. My mother was a trained opera singer. My father was like, a, like the kind of guy, he would go to a wedding and like, there would be a line, line of women who want to dance with him. He was such a good dancer. I've got zero rhythm, zero musical talent. I have to actually watch the people on the stage to watch their hands, to clap with them, to get the rhythm. But you who have rhythm, clap your hands. People are like, oh, why don't more people raise their hands and worship and praise to God? I always say, why don't you? You're free to do that. I'm not saying you you draw attention to yourself so people are watching you instead of of worshiping God. But but we are called to worship, and that kind of worship is contagious. And I've had many people say, in this this day we are in right now, I prefer watching at home online. Again, this is a very soul-searching question. Is that really what the Lord wants? I was away this weekend. Pam and I were not here. And, and so we watched our church online. We watched our church online. And, you know, it was fine. It wasn't like being here. No way. No way. Did, did I send, was I able to worship God? Yes. Was I able to hear the word of God? Yes. Yes. But the sensation of being with God's people and the special thing that happens when God's people gather and the pleasure it brings God himself, that was missing. What was there, honestly, I can do myself at home any day of the week. I don't, I don't need other people for that. Once again, I'm thankful for the internet. I'm thankful for how God is using it for evangelism. I'm thanking for God, how God is using it for people who are shut in and there are legitimate people who cannot make it out. But for those who can, it is not meant to be a substitute. Is it impossible for some people to make it out? Yes. Please, friend, if, if that's you, I, I, I am not casting any judgment upon you. I know that the Lord has allowed you or put you, depending upon your theology, you, you can talk to him how you want about it, into that situation. Maybe, maybe you're sick. Maybe you're caring for someone. Who knows what it is? But let me tell you this, and this goes for every single one of us. For you watching at home, even if you can't get out of the house, And for all of us that come here and worship or people that are temporarily watching at home for whatever reason, let me remind you of something very important. Every single one of us, every single one of us can put on our Sunday best every Lord's Day. You know, that's what they used to talk about in the day. They used to talk about people who didn't have a lot of money. They would put on their Sunday best. Did you ever hear that expression? Like, get in dressed in your Sunday best. Get all dressed up. Now people, like they're like, the pastor's wearing jeans. He doesn't even tuck his shirt in. Is that, is that his Sunday best? Actually, it is. Why? Isaiah calls our Sunday best the garment of praise. We can all put on our Sunday best. Yet, in the stress and business busyness of life, I know it's easy to make the commands of God into the options of God that we choose. We encounter that in James chapter one. I understand uh, and agree. Please. I agree wholeheartedly. Some of people come here and they and they go, "Oh, I, I love this church. I just, it's alive. I feel God is here." But I can't go to my church. I have to go to my church. And I go, well, how is your church? Oh, it's awful. It's dead. It's boring. It's the same thing every week. But, you know, that's what I am. And, 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 and I'm, it's so sad me to hear that. Because here's the reality. We're all busy. We all have a lot of stress. We all have a lot of stuff that's going on in our lives. None of us have time for dead, dry, and insincere formal worship. None of us have time for that. I don't have time for that. But we do have time for what the Lord is describing here. This will change us and bring a smile to his face. Yet it's also easy for us to miss. And maybe... Maybe you need to take that alarm clock on Sunday morning and put it far, far across the room with a note that reminds you why you're getting up. Just say, Today is the Lord's day. Stay awake to love the Lord, whatever it takes, because it's easy to miss what the Lord is giving us here. It says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Do you realize that he's talking to, the Psalmist is talking to living people. And he is saying that when you come into the house of the Lord, you have been given an invitation into the gates of the Lord. You have been given an invitation into the courts of the Lord. You have been given an invitation into the house of the Lord, into the house of the king. And this invitation, taking this invitation and and saying, yes, I will come, I will come. This is the essence of joyful worship. Worship is joyful because it is grateful. We come into the house of the Lord with joy because we are grateful. And what's the cause for this gratitude? What's the reason Why should I be and you and I be so thankful? Verse 3, it was more so because of what the Lord has done. Verse 5, it is because of who the Lord is. We are grateful, verse 5, for the Lord is good. That's why we are so full of joy. That's why we can't wait to get in to be with him. For he is good. What makes him good? His mercy is everlasting. Some of your versions say because of his faithful love. Some say because of his steadfast love. We might say have his enduring love that endures forever. So for the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. And his truth, some versions say, his faithfulness endures to all generations. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me state a bold fact to you. This is a fact. You are a recipient of the Lord's goodness. And that is something to be thankful for. You are a recipient, a fact. It is done. It is complete. Your choice, my choice, if we will experience it or not, you are a recipient of the Lord's unwavering love. You are, fact, a recipient of the Lord's enduring faithfulness. Therefore, we are thankful. Therefore, we joyfully worship God because he is good. Why is he good? Because that's who he is. How often is he good? Always. He is always good. In other words, the Lord is the source of all the good things we experience in this life. Now some of you might say, there's nothing good going on in my life. That is a state of ingratitude. Because there are always many, many good things. And how often we let some of the not so good things drown out so many of the good things. And to not thank him for being good. Again, I know this is hard, but it's necessary to not thank him for being good is to be most ungrateful. And I know you don't want to be that. And yet, even the Lord's pointing out our ingratitude is grace. Why? Because by drawing our attention to it, maybe some of you are sitting right there now going, oh, that hurt, that hurt. Good, I'm glad that it hurt. It hurt me as I thought about it this week. I didn't need to, didn't need to fall and bruise my ribs for it to hurt. It, that hurt more than bruising my ribs to think that through. But God in his grace, when he points out our ingratitude, he does it because he wants us to enjoy his goodness again. He wants us to enjoy his goodness all the more Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste. Now, I did it again. I'm reading the Bible the way we do. It's not, oh. It's, oh. i got to hold my ribs. Oh. (laughs) Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Another version says, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, man or woman. Who is that? That is anyone who turns to God, and puts their trust in Jesus Christ. What we call the gospel. The good news of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is one of the beautiful things about the Bible. Take the gospels and read the gospels. Tomorrow I've been, I've been, I've been working my way through the New Testament. Again, I'm going to read it through twice. And tomorrow morning on Thanksgiving... I'm going to finish the book of Revelation and then I'm going to go back to Matthew. And I'm so excited. Not that I don't like the other books of the Bible, but I love the Gospels. It's why I love to try to take our congregation on a Sunday morning every few years through one of the Gospels. Why? Because when we see Jesus, we see the goodness of God. It is visible to us. Let it grasp, you loved ones. You see, when we talk about being God as being good, remember, God is not moody. God is not inconsistent. His, with his love and his mercy, it is everlasting. It is unwavering. The Lord is full of love. And once again, this, this wording here, that when it talks about his, his faithful love, his mercy is everlasting, it's the, it's the Hebrew word, Hesed or Hesed, the love that keeps on loving, the love that never, ever will end. How comforting it is to me, and I hope it is to you, that in our fast changing world, to know that God's love for you is unchanging. Everything is changing around us so quickly, so incredibly quickly. But God's love for you is unchanging and that unchanged love, he is committed to love you in that unchanging way forever. And the experience of his love, even his disciplining love, his mercy, I don't know how it all works together. I really don't, but I know that it does. It causes followers of Jesus to love him even more. You know you're really growing in your faith. The scripture says, whom God loves, he disciplines, as a father disciplines a child. You know you're really growing in the faith when you're under the discipline of God and you can say, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me so much. Thirdly, his truth, his, his faithfulness, he says, endures for all generations. The Lord is reliable. The Lord is dependable. So he's good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth, number three, endures to all generations. But notice it's not just for the psalmist's time. It's for ours as well. And should the Lord tarry? If you don't know what that means, that means if he doesn't get here as quick as we were kind of hoping or as maybe the guy on TV tells you he's coming, whatever. People have been saying he's coming back all the time for years and we're still waiting for him. It doesn't matter in this sense. And I do hope the Lord returns on the one hand. On the other hand, I hope that we can invite more people into heaven. But notice he says that don't worry about the timing because his love endures To all generations. It will not stop. Nothing can stop his love. Because the Lord is good, he will always be loving and he will always be faithful. That loved ones means because he will always be loving and because he will always be faithful. There will always be a reason to be thankful. That's why the psalmist calls the whole earth to trust him, to praise him, and to serve him with gladness. You see, this psalm, written long before Jesus lived, look forward to when the whole earth acknowledged Israel's God. But, you know, it didn't really happen in the psalmist's time. But then, 2,000 years ago, the scripture calls it, in the fullness of time, something changed big time. Christmas. Christmas came. And and wise men, Gentiles, non-Jews, came to worship the newborn king of all the earth. They knew him as Jesus of Nazareth. He lived a perfect life. The pressure's off. You don't have to do it anymore. Don't worry about it. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. If you put your trust in him, you will not have to endure the punishment for your sins. He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And now, the, now King Jesus sits on his throne in heaven as we await for his return. And throughout the scriptures, we get these scenes of of when God does, when Jesus does return, of, of people from all around the world worshiping Jesus with thanksgiving. You see, the coming of Jesus changed who the world's worshipers were. It was originally just kind of this one little group of people and a few people here and there, but now it is a worldwide phenomenon. And this is the challenge for us to take the good news to the world. And if we want people to praise the Lord with joy, even if we want people who you invite to church or you want people who we see who come into church who we we think or we know that they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if we want them to praise the Lord with joy, we must too. They must see us too if we want them to come to Jesus and experience his goodness and his love and his faithfulness, we must experience it too. You you can't tell people about such things if you don't know what it's like. May we see that our church services are a time to worship the Lord and also a time to invite unbelieving people to join us to become part of the flock and family of God. May when unbelieving people come into our church, when they come into your church, wherever you attend, may they see people who are joyful and thankful because they have come to God through the life, resurrection, ascension, life, death, resurrection, ascension of the Lord Jesus. May they see our gladness because of the greatness and goodness of the Lord Jesus. And may we, as Paul told the Corinthians, see them fall down and say, surely God is in this place. And may they turn to God and put their trust in Jesus. May you, friend, if you're not a follower of Jesus, may you do that tonight. May you turn to God and put your trust in Jesus and have your sins forgiven have eternal life in heaven, become part of God's flock and part of God's family. And in doing so, you will enter into his kingdom. You will be, as we saw in verse 3, part of his people and the sheep of his pasture. So this Thanksgiving, no matter how you feel about what's going on, no matter what is going on, Let us be thankful for what we have. We have a great Savior. We have a good Savior who always stays by us. And let us hear the call to praise Him. Let us hear the call to thanksgiving. And as we know Him, as we understand why, may we shout with joy because we serve and worship and are thankful for the risen king. Well, let's pray.